This is episode 77 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me for the 2023-2024 Edmonton Oilers season preview show are three contributors for heavyhockey.com, Ryan Lotzberg, Bob Schmidt, and Kirk Morris. Guys, how's it going tonight? Really good, Eric. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Glad to hear that you guys are all doing good, too. And, you know, although it was only the preseason i think we're probably all feeling even better after the oilers crushed the calgary flames seven to two at rogers place last night yeah, it's uh, always yeah. nice to see even, an, even an exhibition right <laughs> yeah. anytime we can demolish the flames it's great exactly i mean they they can say all they want that they sent their b squad up here but I mean, in reality, the Flames always look like the B-Squad going up against this Oilers team. Shots fired. Shots fired. (laughs) Well, they keep saying they're going to have their rematch against us in the playoffs, but they have to get there to do that. Exactly. And I guess I'll be finding out later tonight if you guys think that they're going to be making it there so that that could possibly happen. Uh, We're also just six days away from the Oilers season opener on October 11th. So, guys, let's just dive right into it tonight. Uh, After losing to the eventual champions in back-to-back years in the playoffs, that doesn't feel like something the Oilers will accept again. This group is extremely motivated to win the Oilers' sixth Stanley Cup in franchise history and first since 1990. Ryan, is this the most confident you've ever been going into an Oilers season? And what is your biggest reason for optimism? I would say that, yeah, it is the most confident that I've been about an Oilers team going into a season. I mean, <laughs> somewhat young. I I wasn't there for the 80s years, and this is easily the most optimistic season that we've had since the 80s. Um, big, biggest things is that we have a completed top six now. Connor Brown rounds that out nicely. It's a big upgrade over Kyler Yamamoto, in my opinion. And then we've added Matthias Ekholm as well. We get a full season of Matthias Ekholm shutting things down on the back end. And what well, I'm hoping for some a uh, little more stable goaltending. So I, th- I think things are on the up and up for the Oil this year. They have legitimate reason to consider themselves contenders or favorites even. And Bob, how about yourself? Well, uh, I am the probably the senior here on, on this call. So I do remember the 80s Oilers, but definitely... Uh, Back then, it was almost expected just to win the cup. So you went to every playoffs, and you were just shocked if they didn't. Like, what what went wrong? Well, to but rephrase, in- since their last cup in 1990, <laughs> is this the most confident you've been going into a season? <laughs> I was extremely confident last year. I mean, the fact we made it to the final four the year before that. Uh, so I'm I'm I have uh, I'm as confident this year as it was last year, which kind of scares me a bit because last year was a bit of disappointment for how we finished it. But I do agree that we look like we are a stronger team than we were last year. Uh, I'm very encouraged at the player interviews because they all do appear to be on the same page. They all say basically the same kind of philosophy about going into this season. So, yeah, I'm pumped. I'm jacked. Let's do it. And Kirk? Yeah, man. I, I This group of uh, of guys here uh, this year, this team, this this year's team, I, I'm totally, totally stoked for uh, it. Just like Leo said, they're cup or bust, and I, I think, uh, and they, they, they hold themselves accountable. Like they're at least their candor in their in their you know preseason interviews. 
they're like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we got to get to the playoffs there first. I think, uh, McDavid said, and then just take it step by step, but they, they seem pretty strong in their, in their, in their words. So I, I think that the, the loss to Vegas really, really put a sour taste in their mouth and they know what to, to do now. Yeah, and I mean, I think last year after making it to the conference final, we all expected that they were going to take the next step and win the Stanley Cup last year. And really, the Oilers gave Vegas their toughest test in the playoffs. So I I think that was as close to the real Stanley Cup final as there was. And whoever would have made it past that series, I think probably would have went on to win because I don't know about you guys, but I don't think uh, Dallas or Florida would have stopped Edmonton. So it's a shame that they were going into game five tied two two, and they dropped those two games. But Ryan, I'll basically echo your thoughts. Um, A a full year of Matias Ekholm having Connor Brown in the top six, he should be able to score more uh, than they were getting before in that spot. Uh, The historic power play, I think that it should still be right at that same level, if not even a little better with Bouchard being on it for the full season. So I think there's real reason to believe that this is going to be the year that they end their 34 year cup drought. And uh, while this is undoubtedly the deepest Oilers team in the past 30 years, do you think that, or what do you think is their biggest question mark going into the season, Bob? Well, we do have our, uh, Let's see what our bottom six turns out to be, um, especially with the fight for the last one or two spots. Uh, so we looked like we got pretty good depth. Uh, we had good depth last year, but it looks like we might have taken a step. I'm uh, looking at our uh, you know, third-line D pairing, uh, depending on who it's going to be, is uh, you know what kind of season they can put together to provide that kind of stability we need back there. I'm pretty confident in our top four. The biggest question mark, I think, will be uh, goaltending. I mean, I'm very confident in the Jack Campbell 2024 Redemption Tour. Um, Stuart Skinner has had a full season now, but that means also the scuttering report on him is uh, that much more in-depth for other teams to make an adjustment. And that's why there's always that possibility of a sophomore slump. So I think the uh, the goaltending is where I'm looking at, but uh, I'm, still, uh, I'm still confident who we have back there. And Kirk, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to chime in. I I think our biggest question mark to, uh, going into the season will be our defensive play in our own end. Uh, just it seemed like they 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 did a hybrid there. They did a, a mixed zone defense and then man to man here and there. I noticed, but uh, just being more accountable for you know for switching off, if you know covering each other, and just not you know not be like the, the old fashioned swarm defense of the Aikens years, just, just be accountable that, that I, I think on the defensive side of the puck offensively they're they, everybody knows that they're, they're stacked. It's just on the defensive side. That's the biggest question. Yeah. We've come a long way since Aikens running this team, I'm almost getting PTSD from you saying his name on this preview. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Ryan, what do you think? What's that? What is the biggest question mark surrounding the Oilers this year? I mean, I think some of the guys are nailing it with the, with what's happening on defense, but I'm going to make it a little more specific in saying how is Philip Broberg going to be deployed and how is he going to evolve this season? I I was on record last year saying that I thought he was going to emerge into a top four D by the end of last season. That didn't happen. Um, this season, the door, the path is a little more crowded. It's a little more 
cluttered for him. It's like, I'm not sure how he's going to get into the top four, if he's going to get into the top four. There, there's a, a chance that he plays with Ekholm at some point because they want to pair the two Swedes together and see if the, the vet can stabilize the young kid. So I'm just not sure how it's going to work out with Broberg. He didn't look great at the start of camp. But I thought that or I feel like he's starting to get his feet underneath him a little bit. His camp has gone on. He's shown some excellent work in the offensive zone, fantastic edge work and some really creative and high skill plays that I was expecting to see from Broberg within the last couple of years. So we're starting to see some confidence from him. But how is that going to translate into the regular season and where does that leave him? Right. And considering this is now his draft plus five year the Oilers don't have a lot of time for young players to develop into key roles, especially with them hoping to contend for the next year or two. If Broberg shows that he isn't ready for that elevated role by February, could you see him being included in a package to try and upgrade the blue line? It's a tough decision, to be honest with you. I think it's certainly worth considering but the cap space is going to be an issue. So like when you're trading away a kid like Pro, like Broberg, you're expecting to get a pretty good player back that's more in his prime and that's going to have a higher cap hit associated. You'd have to attach another contract with him. Yeah, you'd have to attach another contract with him. So, and, and then you might want to re- replace that, like re-sign that player next season. So, And there's not going to be a lot of cap room next year, like with Connor Brown's performance bonuses on the books already. It's pretty much going to wipe out the 5% increase in the cap that's going to be applied next season. Exactly. And Holland hasn't exactly shown a penchant for going after rentals. So um, I don't This might be his last season too, though, right? I mean, he's given no indication that he's re-signing or that... uh, Jeff Jackson would bring him back. So if this is the swan song for Ken Holland with the Edmonton Oilers, I expect him to fully go for it and, you know, not really worrying about too much about what the team's going to look like a year from now. Has he really gone? Got like, like, has he really, I, I know I'm sort of cutting in there guys. No, jump but, in of course. But, uh, has he really gone all in technically quote unquote ever? I think last season, addressing the clear need for a top four defenseman and bringing in Ekholm, I would say that based on the the cap constraints that he had, that was the closest to an all-in year for Ken Holland. Do you, do you think... Said, Sorry, go ahead there, Bob. Much, well, having said that, though, like you, that's a good point, though, uh, if he ever has. Um, but let's say this. Like, let's say this is his last year in the NHL, or especially as a, as a general manager or what have you. Right. If there's ever a time for him to be desperate enough to to finish with one more cup, this would be the year. That's what I'm saying. I I don't think that he is really concerned about next season. Like you you look at that contract he gave Connor Brown. That is not going to impact the Oilers during the final season that he's under contract, that's next year's problem. Uh, He might not even be with the organization. So I think that's another reason why he was willing to give Brown that bonus laden contract that will um, be applied to to next season, which should be, it's going to be $4 million in total. And he's only getting the league minimum this year. So you're looking at about 3.25 on the cap next year. And if the salary cap goes up $4 million, well, that's taking up like 
80% of it roughly. So yeah, if I don't think that he's really worried about where this team is going to be next year. He's just thinking of winning the Stanley Cup this year. And if he does, if the Oilers do win the Cup, I mean, that's probably the way that he would want to ride off into the sunset. I can't think of a better way for him to finish up his managerial career. Yeah, I I, I, I don't buy it that he's going to leave a horn's nest there for next year. Just if, if anything there, he'll get another stay-at-home defenseman, whether it be a right shot, I would assume it would be a right shot at the trade deadline just to, just to, to nail down our defense. And, and that kind of yeah. leads into what my uh, biggest question mark is. I think the right side of the blue line. Dayarnay, I think, is fine in his role as that 6-7 guy. We don't know if Broberg's going to shift over to the right side or not. Uh, you know, Bouchard taking a big step forward in the latter half of the season last year definitely is a is a huge plus for them. But can Cody Ceci bounce back to where he was two years ago when he was arguably the Oilers' best all-around defenseman last season? He didn't look right all year, and I... I think Bob Stoffer suggested that he was playing through a lingering injury. So if he can get back to even being close to what he was in his first season in Edmonton, that will help. But I still think that they do need to bring in another right shot defender because the left side is pretty stable at this point. Um, head coach Jay Woodcroft regularly ran with 11 forwards and seven defensemen last season instead of the more traditional 12 and six alignment. Which do you think we'll see more often from the Oilers this season? And do you think one alignment gives the team a better chance for success than the other, Kirk? I, I, I think off the hop there, he's going to go with 12 and six. Just uh, it, you get that feeling, but he used 11 and seven a lot in Bakersfield and he, you know, the last two, well, one in one year and change there that he, since he's been the head coach, he hasn't been afraid to use 11 and seven. The biggest question everybody's talking about, you know, if you, if you, if you use 11 and seven, you're going to tax out your, your big guns and Will that catch up to them? Maybe not. Well, maybe they had, you know, in the, you know, the, the exit meetings there last year, uh, maybe they, you know, discussed, maybe we should, you know, go to the, back to the traditional, you know, 12 and six. Cause doesn't it help you, out you, the bottom six too, though? Sorry to cut you off, but like giving a, a shift uh, for a guy like Holloway with uh, one of McDavid or dry Seidel, I mean, that can also give a boost to the bottom six guys too, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, no, no question about it. It's just, when is he going to, you know, I, I think it'll be game to game. Like that's the, that's his calling card. He goes game by game. He says he so doesn't you think it'll be more of a 50, 50 split. I, I, I half I the time they'll, they'll go with 11 and seven. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think he'll, he'll just, he'll, he'll do the coin flip, you know, go day by day. And Ryan, which alignment do you expect the Oilers will go with more often? I would say that they're going to go with 11-7 more often. A couple of reasons for that. Um, we've seen the utilization that Woodcroft has with McDavid and Drysaddle. They get big minutes. That leaves very few minutes for the bottom six, which, okay, sure, that's all fine. But what 11-7 allows you to do, like it, it has one less guy that's sitting on the bench for <laughs> 55 minutes a night, basically. Right. So it allows the full roster to feel more involved. Um, the other reason that there's not a real true fourth line center, 
whether you're going Matthias Janmark and Derek Ryan, both of which have played fourth line or both of which have played center in the last two preseason games. Um, they've both done it before with varying degrees of success, but none of them are neither, neither's a great fit at fourth line center right now. They got Lane Peterson, who's an option and has had a good camp, but he's yeah. got 72 games of NHL experience, so it's limited. We're we're not really sure what we have in Peterson yet. So there's not a real, true, legitimate fourth-line center that's solidified. But having Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl <laughs> double-shifting is a pretty damn good fourth-line center. Yeah, and I mean, you could still have Derek Ryan to win the draw because he is good on face-offs, but actually handling the responsibilities of a center, that's where maybe you could have someone like Yanmark shift over or depending on if they do go with uh, Lane Peterson. Uh, Brandon Sutter probably would have been in the mix for that if he hadn't retired. Um, I think it'll depend on the opponent too. Say if uh, there's a a team that you think that you can double shift McDavid and dry sidle against because you're pretty confident that you're going to beat this team uh, and just overpower them offensively, then yeah, go with that uh, alignment. And if you're playing a team that's maybe a little more defensively structured and you know, it's going to be more of a grind that night, then go back to the 12 and six. So we'll see how that kind of plays out throughout the season. And, and it also, I think depends on that 12 forward spot that's up for grabs uh, how impactful is that player? Is it going to be Adam Ernie? Is it going to be Raphael Lavoie? Will one of those guys be able to prove that they should be in the lineup every night over a guy like Vinny Dayarnay? Uh, it's going to come down to that. Is it more? Is that forward having a bigger impact than having Dayarnay, who can kill penalties? So I think that's kind of a a factor that will come into play there too. And uh, Bob, what do you think uh, on this one? But you almost took the took what I was going to say word for oh, word. Oh, jeez. No, 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 that. no, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, it's good. Uh, great minds must think alike, right? Um, Definitely. I, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think a lot of it is going to depend on the opposition. We're going to have varying degrees of success uh, to see which teams it's, it's effective against, more effective against than, than others. That's going to play a factor. Uh, the fact also that, yeah, right now we don't really have a, a true uh, fourth-line center, as you gentlemen mentioned. That, that'll also play a factor. I'm not too worried about this whole uh, time management for our top two players. We have the two best players in the world on our team. They are in their prime. They're elite athletes in the world. These guys can play 20 to 25 minutes a night, uh, probably you know, relatively smoothly. Uh, I know if a game gets out of hand, yeah, you're, you're going to make a play you know, 16, 17, 18 minutes. And that's fine. If you're up 7-1, we don't need these guys out there. The whole time. Yeah, which they did against teams like Anaheim and San Jose last year. You'd see McDavid and Dreisaitl's minutes cut way down. Right, and that's and that's where you gain that back. But when it comes uh, otherwise, yeah, these guys could easily play 70, 72 games a year playing 25 nights, uh, 25 minutes a night. And just looking at their numbers from last year, McDavid played 22 minutes and 23 seconds a night. And Dreisaitl played 21 minutes and 44 seconds a night. But there were a lot of games that, you know, we can remember where they did play upwards of 25 minutes. So if you can get those games in there where you're playing a bit of a easier opponent and you think that you can get the fourth line or the third line, a couple extra shifts that, you know, that will save their bodies down the road. Yeah, agreed. 100%. Yeah. 
All right. And uh, which Oilers player playing in his first season with the team do you think will have the biggest impact this year? Ryan, you can go first. I have to go with Matthias Ekholm. Um, just defense is our team's biggest issue. It's It was a glaring problem last year and it has been for years. And Matthias Ekholm really did a good job of solidifying the blue line group. Goals against came down really far when Ekholm entered the lineup. So I think a full year of Ekholm is just going to bring that stabilization to the decor for the whole year and really help improve our goals against. And Bob, who do you have? How can you not choose that home? Um, <laughs> the, the, the trickle, the, the ripple effect that he had when he got the lineup, uh, especially with on the decor, uh, like Bouchard's game obviously got stepped up. Uh, even the guy like Darnell Nurse all of a sudden felt less pressure on him being the number one guy and not forcing so many plays. He was able to play much more relaxed style and not take as many chances because he had another guy that helped shoulder him the load of the, those kind of minutes. And uh, and the forwards, just the extra confidence you have knowing you have a guy like Ekholm back there you know uh, to help you and to move the puck up just the confidence we had as soon as Ekholm was a certain lineup was like it was so obvious yeah, and he was only there for the final 19 games of the regular season plus the playoff run so we're talking about that impact that he had in the final quarter of the season you stretch that over a full year you know the Oilers should be at least you'd think in the top half of the best defensive teams in the league instead of in the bottom 10. Uh, and Kirk, who's your pick? Well, I'm going to go against the grain here. Uh, everybody's choosing that home. I'm going to go with Connor Brown. Uh, just uh, I'm looking forward to a bounce back season from him, from, you know, recovering from his knee surgery and whatnot there. Uh, uh, looking at him, his play there in the preseason so far, he's just been flying. And I think it, he was the final piece that was missing for our top six. You know, I, I miss Yamamoto already, <laughs> even when he scored there last Friday against us. You know, it was kind of weird seeing him on, on the other side, but I, I think everybody will soon forget that you need that 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 keystone. You need that that number six to have that clutch play, whether it's just one, you know, one play in a game or, or that one goal to get you across the line in in a tight game, in a, in a, in a really neck and neck situation, I, I think Connor Brown's going to, going to prove a lot of people wrong. And I, 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 I know a lot of people are expecting that, but I, I think he's just going to shine. Yeah, I mean, he looked great next to McDavid last night. And I mean, they've only played a couple games together since reuniting here but how much do you think that chemistry carries over from a decade ago when they were teammates with the Erie Otters in the OHL well you got to give them a little leeway you got to give them a little bit of runway you know to get back you know when the games do count but I I think it'll it'll and I know he'll move around here and there you know game to game you know it depends on the situation but overall I think the they'll be they'll be awesome you know that that top line of Kane McDavid and then Brown you know like you know you got two grinders there and then you got a guy can you know shoot the pill you know the best player in the world yeah and Connor Brown himself he can shoot it pretty darn good there too at times yeah he he sure showed it last night and uh, I do think that the Oilers have the best top six in the league and Connor Brown obviously makes it better but 
even if Yamamoto was still here and they didn't bring in Brown, I think their top six would, would still be the best in the NHL. So I'm going to go with what Ryan and Bob said, that Matias Ekholm will have the biggest difference. They need to cut down the goals against. I believe that Ekholm was only on the ice for two even strength goals against in the final quarter of the season that he was with the team. I'll have to double check that, but I remember hearing that stat. And if you can have that for a full year, plus the mentorship that he's providing to Evan Bouchard, when you package all that over the course of a full season, to me, it just sounds like the the goals against is going to go way down. And when you consider how much this team uh, can put the puck in the net, obviously scoring 325 goals last year, if that number even comes down a bit to around the 300 mark, maybe they can knock off 25 goals against and the plus minus will still be pretty even there for the differential. And uh, last season, Stuart Skinner started 48 games in goal for the Oilers, and Jack Campbell started 34. What do you think the split will be for games started this year, and how high is your confidence level in this tandem overall? Bob, start us off. I wouldn't be surprised if those numbers are exact opposite this time around. Hmm. I'm a a big big believer, like I said, in the Jack Campbell redemption tour. Uh, When he's on his game, it's just a matter of getting find the consistency but when he's on his game, he's as good as any top 10 goalie in, in the NHL. Uh, Skinner, I think, is going to have a slight step backwards. I, I kind of think um, he surprised everybody. Uh, he overperformed than what anybody was anticipating. Uh, other, other teams now have a bigger book on him. He'll take a slight step backwards, but nothing too dramatic. I think he'll still be solid. Uh, but do not do not be surprised if Jack Campbell is the game one starter in the playoffs when, when that time comes. I'm very confident. Right now, I'd say we have. In my rankings, I, I had us as the uh, 11th-ranked goaltending tandem right now, but that could easily be top five by the time we're 20 games in. Hey, I mean, if, if it's close to top 10 in the league, I think we'll take that all day. And, uh, Kirk, you understand the goaltending position better than any of us, so what do you think the split will be, and how confident are you in the Skinner-Campbell tandem? Well, I, I was just going to go along with what Bob said. Like, I, I think this year you're going to see a, a different Jack Campbell. He's already shown it there in the preseason. He seems to be playing with a lot more confidence. He's always had the technical aspect to his game. It's in between his ears. That was the biggest thing. You know, even when he, you know, left the national team and he jumped, made the jump to pros, he always had a confidence issue. And I think he, he didn't mention it or, uh, and didn't say anything who he worked with here in the summer, but, I'm pretty sure you went back to, I think even Bob mentioned it there in a chat or in a, in a latter podcast that he worked with Dusty Emu there in the past. I wouldn't doubt if he worked with them again this summer. I thought I heard somewhere that he was working with Manny Legacy. Sorry to cut you off there, Kirk. He was training with Tristan Jari and Manny Legacy. Right. Right. I heard that on, I think it was Kevin Woodley that mentioned that there too. They're on, on Gregor's show. It could have been a, a myriad of, of, you know, and even talking to uh, like what Woodley said there on Gregor's show there on Monday, like could have worked with a, a sports psychologist, you know, just yeah. to rebuild, you know, start from the ground up and rebuild. I, I think, I, I think Campbell will scratch close to 50 games, believe it or not. I think he has, he just has the tools and he can go to distance personally. I, I think Skinner is going to take a step back, but it won't be like a large step back. Right. 
and I'm trying to remember who was saying this. I think it might have been Mike McKenna on Daily Faceoff that Jack Campbell had been using the same upper body armor since junior. Yep. And that he had finally changed his full goaltending equipment. Like we know he changed pads uh, multiple times last season. And yep. he was using a type of pads that I guess was an older style and was kicking out a lot of extra rebounds. And we remember there were multiple times when he tracked the puck with his glove and it almost seemed like the puck went through the glove, basically. So to hear that he kind of has his equipment situation settled. And if you remember, he always looked narrow up top from his goalie. It just other goalies around the league looked like they covered more of the upper part of the net with their shoulders. And, and Jack Campbell's really seemed narrow. So I'm just hoping that he, he has new modern gear from the sounds like it. Uh, it sounds like he does and that everything is sorted out there because if you, it's like you said, if he has the, the psychology aspect down where he's feeling good about himself going into the year, he had a couple strong preseason games and, you know, even in the playoffs when he came in last season, in four relief appearances. He looked great in each of those. So I'm hoping that he's feeling good about his game. He's got the equipment situation settled and uh, everything should be rolling uh, as we get ready to start things off next Wednesday night. Um, and uh, Ryan, what do you, what sort of split do you envision for uh, Skinner and Campbell this season? Yeah, I'm not going to say anything much different than what these guys have already said. I'm thinking high forties for Campbell and mid thirties for Skinner. Um, yeah, I think Jack Campbell's going to have his best year as an oiler this year. Uh, every goalie that every starting goalie that Dustin Schwartz has worked with who's in his time in the Oilers has had their best season with the Oilers in their second year with the team. So that, that's camp Talbot. That's Miko Koskinen. That's Mike Smith. All of them year two was their best year. And I'm expecting nothing different from Jack Campbell here. Eric, yeah, I mean, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Jack Campbell's yeah. equipment, which uh, is a good point, and right. and that also affects you mentally. If you have that kind of confidence in your equipment, and uh, and you feel good about it, it becomes a part of your body, and you're that much more confident in your whole in your whole setup. You hear True. experts, you hear experts across the league. There, they it's unheard of to change out your gear in the middle of the season. Usually, you use the summer, the off season, to test out different equipment, and even Skinner tested out. Bauer, I think this year, and Jack made the full. He made the full move. He made another gear switch. Believe it or not, this summer to a complete Bauer setup, which yeah, is, but, is pretty crazy. But Kirk, you can probably speak to this more. But do goaltenders just seem to fall in love with their gear? Because I mean, for Jack Campbell to be wearing the same upper body protection for ten years or more. I mean, that that thing must have been taped together at this point. You'd think that someone would have encouraged him to uh, get a newer set by, you know, the point where you're a starter in the NHL. Well, Bob, you can even chime in on this. Like, it's like anything else, even with uh, even. Oh, sorry. I I keep forgetting that Bob also played goalie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just I mean, he's a retired retired goalie now, right? He mentioned that on the last time I had him on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to chime in here and I'll let Bob take over here too. Like, and and I was just going to say, it's like anything else. Like you get, you fall in love with a piece of equipment or a stick Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And you don't want to let it go. 
you know, was a certain lie, you know, with certain forwards, they like, you know, the flex and, you know, the weight of a stick and all that kind of, it, it, same thing with goaltenders. You, you, you break in a set of equipment and it just feels like it's a part of you. Yeah. It becomes an extension of your body. That's the thing. It's like, uh, yeah, I like, I, I use my stuff. Uh, way longer than I should. Like I only switch when it was absolutely mandatory, when it becomes like a safety issue or the stuff was falling apart. And uh, yeah, like it's just, it's a part of you. And there's actually a bit of a mourning period when you got to switch over. Like, oh, I can't use this thing again. There you go. And and I like I've known uh, Kirk as a, a goalie guy for years, but you know, your your literal handle on Twitter is Bob Goalie One. So for forgive forgive me for uh, forgetting that you're also a, a forward goaltender there, Bob. Uh and, there's lots uh, of teams that I played for that like would like to forget that I was their goalie as well. <laughs> well, at least you you got a good humor about it now. Uh and uh, who do you think will be the Oilers' most improved player this season and why? Kirk, go ahead. Um, I was going to go with Cody Ceci. I, 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 you talk about Jack Campbell there and what he can do in the net. I think, uh, like, I, like just tailing off of what you mentioned there before, he, playing through an injury, and I think in a little addition there, he, he became a new dad there this last season there too. So he probably didn't get a hell of a lot of sleep. <laughs> You know, when he was at home, you know, helping out mama there with the baby and whatnot. So a lot of sleepless nights, you know, you know, you, you, you dial in with the injury or out on the injuries, you know, injury role, if you nicked up or whatever, it's, you're not going to play your best. No. I mean, even speaking of goalies, do you remember Cam Talbot, uh, his wife had twins early in the 2016, 17 season, and he talked about it that the first couple of weeks after they were born, uh, he felt like his game wasn't up to par because there were a lot of nights where he wasn't getting a, a full rest. So, uh, I mean, that probably could have an impact. And I believe there were seven Oilers players that became fathers in 2023. So there's a lot of new babies around the team. So let's hope that, uh, let's hope that they can get a, a little more sleep as those kids, uh, get a few months older here going into the season now. And uh, uh, Ryan, who do you have as the Oilers' most improved player this year? Yeah, I know Jack Campbell's been getting a lot of love and a lot of airtime here, but I'm going Jack Campbell. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> he had his career worst numbers last year, and I'm thinking that there's going to be a big old role reversal there. So I think he's going to be near career best numbers this year. So I think that's going to be the biggest improvement on the team. And Bob, who do you think will be the Oilers' most improved player? Connor McDavid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, he can only I'm go up, with... right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Eh? Um, yeah, I'm with Ryan. It, it, it for me, it's uh, I I keep saying it, and I should I should trademark this hashtag. But it's a Jack Campbell redemption tour this season. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that, uh, but the baby thing though. I was going to bring that up when uh, Kurt mentioned uh, Cody CC. I was going to bring Cam Talbot up because I do think that was the beginning of the downfall, as cruel as that sounds, uh, when they had twin twins at home and he just wasn't getting to sleep. So uh, it's more obvious when a goalie doesn't get sleep, I think, because every mistake you make, uh, there's a red light that declares it to the world, whereas the player <laughs> kind of hides it a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's a Jack Campbell redemption tour. There you go. 
Uh, I'm going to kind of go off the board here a little bit. I'm going to pick Dylan Holloway. You, you look at his uh, stat line last year, three goals, nine points in 51 games. I'm going to assume that he plays the entire year in the NHL. So if he's healthy and he gets a full 82 games, I'd like to see him increase that pace significantly, even if he's on the third line with no power play time. So can he chip in 15 goals? Can he get 35 points? I mean, if he's playing with Ryan McLeod and Warren Fogle, you'd probably like to see him in that 35 to 40 point range. So I think that taking that step up from uh, where his rookie season was, I've got him as the Oilers' most improved player this year. I'm glad I'm glad somebody said it. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. Those are good numbers because when I did my uh, my uh, predictions for this coming year, I got Holloway at 15 goals, 42 points. Oh, okay, so like once again, great minds think alike, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in past years, I've asked my guests on the show to give their predictions for McDavid and Dreisaitl's offensive totals, because those are the ones that Oiler fans talk about the most. But I want to expand it a bit this year. So who do you think will finish top five on the Oilers in goals and top five in points? And what numbers will they finish with? So, Ryan, you want to give us uh, your lists? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I've got McDavid leading the way, obviously. Um, I'm going to put him at 150 points. I'm going to put Dreisaitl in second with about 130. Then we're going to see the big old gap. (laughs) I'm going to put Evander Kane third at 80 points. And then I'm going to go Nuge fourth at 75. Bit of a regression from last year, but still really good. Above his previous career best. And then fifth, I'm going to put Evan Bouchard there. And I've got him at 72 points. Nice. I like getting Bouch in there. Uh, And do you want to just do your goal totals now too? Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to put McDavid at 51 goals. I'm putting Dreisaitl at 66. Woo! I'm Sorry, you new. said you said dry, dry. So Dreisaitl's leading the team in goals. Yes. Okay, that's and McDavid second. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just going in order of what I haven't written. Sure. Here. I like 66. Let's let's make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to Vander Kane to get the 40 goals. Uh, Nugent Hopkins with 30, and Bouchard, I'll say 21. Okay, so you got Bouch in fifth in goals and in points. Yep, that's what we're sticking with. <laughs> and I like that you have, uh, <laughs> I like that you have Dreisaitl breaking Ovechkin's record for most goals in a single season in the salary cap era. So, uh, I mean, Connor took home the. The, the high water mark for points last year. So now if, uh, if, and he only came one goal short of OV two, but if a uh, dry can, uh, get over 65 goals, that would be amazing. Uh, Bob, let's, uh, let's go with yours next. Wow. Uh, that's a tough one to follow lots of up there. Now. <laughs> I like his one. I might just want to go with his. So, um, I do think the orders will be looking at, uh, our offense will still be the best offense in the NHL. But I do think there'll be more emphasis on our defensive game as well. So I do see some of the numbers coming down a bit. And having said that, though, I got uh, McDavid still winning the Art Ross, uh, but I got him at 133 points. I got uh, 
Dry Saddle sitting second at 109 points. I got Nuge in third. There will be a slight step down, but he'll still be killing it. He's still got power play time, what have you. I still got him at 93 points. And then I got Hyman and Kane identical with 61 points each. Okay, and your goals and then list? For, and for goals, man, I really wanted to push McDavid to 50, but I got him hovering at 48. Hmm. I got Drysdale sitting at 41. I got Hyman with a 33-goal campaign. Kane will score at 32, and then Nuge will follow up with 25. All right, and Kirk, who do you have in your top five lists? It's really hard. It's such a crapshoot there with with Dry and 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 McDavid. Like anything could happen with those two. I, I I'm like Bob. I'm I'm thinking that they're gonna even have a bigger year, both of them per se. Well, not so much McDavid. I think McDavid will regress. I know that's hard to say, you know, and, and, and everything, but I think with, uh, McDavid getting 153 points there last year, I think he's going to push dry there to, to get over 150. So I hit the nail on the head there with dry saw with 150 points, McDavid with 137 nuge. I, I, I think he's going to regress a tiny bit but I gave him 92 points as a prediction. Connor Brown with 80 and Kane with 78. And with the goals, uh, dry saddle with 62 McDavid with 52 Kane with 39 Connor Brown with 35 (laughs) and, uh, Zach Hyman with 32. Well, Kirk, I mean, Good predictions around, but I'll say if if you think Connor Brown's putting up 80 points, I would encourage you to put some money down on that right now because I think <laughs> I think that you're going to win a lot if that happens. You know, I'm a very optimistic Oilers fan myself, and I mean, we saw a guy like Zach Hyman uh, basically come close to doubling his best offensive season uh, a year ago. But uh, for if Connor Brown explodes for 80 points this year, the, <laughs> that Oilers offense is going to be incredibly deadly. Well, I was just going to say, like, like once again, you know, uh, I'm quoting Bob Stoffer here, paraphrasing him, but it's that yeah. it's the Pat Maroon effect, you know, True. Like just, you know, I if mean, you he have was the 13th forward in Anaheim and they, they actually retained money on the guy. And then he comes to Edmonton, you put him with 20 year old Connor McDavid and Maroon scores 27 goals. So exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and think about how much more talented Connor Brown is than Patrick Maroon. Well, that and they they know each other. They they played in juniors, so you got to factor that all in. I I looked at his stats here. Like the best year he had was in nineteen twenty with the Ottawa Senators with forty three points. So you gotta you gotta you gotta multiply it when you're yeah. playing with Connor McDavid because anything can happen. For sure. And can I change uh, my list to put Connor Brown in the top five. <laughs> in, in goals or points? In goals. <laughs> yeah, you can change it. What do you got him at? I think he's going to settle in around 25 goals. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll post what all our numbers were uh, on, the, on this podcast in April, and we'll see uh, if we got any of these right. No, uh, chances are in past years, uh, maybe we'll hit on one or two of these five or get remotely close, but... Uh, it's not a, it's not the best track record of getting all five, right? <laughs> That's probably an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> well, I even had you on the preview show last year. I'll, I'll have to go back and look, uh, sometime how, how we actually did. 
guessing those. I know that I had 140 points for McDavid a year ago, and he ended up finishing with 153. So I'm not going to undersell him again. And I didn't even think I was a year ago. That just shows how incredible McDavid is that he's able to even what I thought was uh, putting the, the benchmark pretty high, just soar past it. Um, so I've got McDavid at 62 goals this year, which would make him the first player to record back-to-back 60-goal seasons since Pavel Bure in 1992-93 and 1993-94. I've got Dreisaitl with his fourth 50-goal season, finishing with 57. I think Evander Kane will have a career-high 37 goals, and you'll have Hyman at 35 and Nuge at 32. So still the Oilers finish with five 30-goal scores, which would also tie a franchise record that they set back in the 1984-85 season. Uh, for points, I'm going to go with 164 for McDavid, which would also make him the only the third player in NHL history to hit 160 points. Obviously, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux being the other two. Dreisaitl with 135. Nuge coming down a little bit from 104 last season to 85. Hyman at 82, and I've got Bouchard at 64. So, Ryan, you and I both had a... You had Bouchard in your top fives, right? Or you, you, dropped, him. you dropped him out of goals for Connor Brown. Yeah, yeah. But I had him at 64, and I think you said 72 points for you had for Bouchard. That's what I got, yep. I mean... Basically, we're listing the Oilers' power play as as the top five in points, right? And yeah, I mean, makes sense. To, to make it to the top five, you really need to be playing on that power play. There's just going to be so much offense that's created there. I mean, think about how many second assists some of these guys are going to be getting. So the point totals for those guys will be obviously much higher than the rest of the team. But, you know, if you get guys like Connor Brown who are getting it done at even strength or, uh, I mean, even lower in the lineup, we talked about someone like Holloway taking a step forward. Can can Warren Fogle and Ryan McLeod, can these guys up their offensive totals too? So if the point totals do come down the way Bob kind of suggested, um, they're going to need these guys lower in the lineup to contribute as well. All right, uh, now let's move on. Uh, give me your Pacific Division standings predictions and which teams you think from the Pacific will make the playoffs this year. Bob, you're up first. Okay. I actually got uh, I got Dallas uh, winning the division and first. Uh, Dallas and is in the Central. What did I say? Oh, division, sorry. Uh, I went conference, my bad. Uh, so I, I do have the Oilers winning the division. Okay. Uh, with 118 points, 57 wins. That's where I'm sitting at. And so this is going to be... So I, I was already ruffling some feathers with my lower point predict, uh, predictions. So let's see what this looks like for the standings. I actually have like a five-way battle here for second place in the Pacific. Uh, with the Kings, Flames, Golden Knights, Kraken, and Canucks. Actually, in that order. I got the Kings sitting at 94 points in second. I got the Flames at third at 94 points. I got the Golden Knights taking uh, basically the last uh, wild card spot at 94 points. I got the Kraken out of the lineup or out of the playoffs at 92 points. The Canucks at 90. And then, of course, the Ducks and the Sharks bringing up the rear. And Bob, you even went a step above and beyond giving the point totals for the other uh, teams as well. Uh, <laughs> if you don't have that down, guys, for the rest of you, you don't have to, but if you want to, chime in with that as well it's all good um 
So, Kirk, uh, how do you see the Pacific Division playing out this season? Um, well, I have Edmonton winning. Um, uh, Vegas is second. LA third. Believe it or not, I have Vancouver over Seattle, both Seattle and Calgary at um, at fourth. Seattle at fifth. Calgary at sixth. Anaheim seventh. And San Jose dead last. All right. And Ryan, what does your list look like? It's not super exciting because it's pretty much the same as last year. um except i have the oilers winning the division like everyone else does here i got vegas in second i got the kings in third i got seattle in fourth i just think their their team speed and overall depth are going to be a lot for teams just to handle uh calgary fifth vancouver sixth anaheim seventh and the sharks eighth and I guess the other thing that we we also should touch on, too, is how many of these teams are going to make the playoffs. Do you think it'll just be three? Will there be one wild card team? Will there be two wild card teams? Uh, Bob, sorry, did you say how many of them you think are making it to the playoffs? Well, I do have, uh, I think it's going to be the the Flames and the Golden Knights are going to take the last two uh, wild card spots. So they are, will, will be coming out of that division, yeah. Okay, and Kirk, for you? I... Uh... I, you know what? I think five teams out of the Pacific. They're the, the Pacific is loaded. They're loaded. Yeah. It's the best division in in all of the AHL. There's there's two weak teams right at the bottom, right? But other than yeah. that, you know, there's the way that I look at it. There's three top end teams in the division, and then three sort of middling teams and two pretty weak teams. But uh, even yeah. the middling teams are all relatively competitive. So. Uh, and Ryan, how many uh, playoff teams coming out of the Pacific, in your uh, opinion? I've got a four and four split with the Pacific and the Central. Okay, so you have Seattle coming in with one of the wild card spots, but not the Flames and Canucks. Correct. And see, that's what I mentioned off the top of the show about the, the Flames not getting back in there. They keep saying they want this redemption uh, playoff series, but they got to get in if that's ever going to happen. Like, there's a chance they can sneak in as a wild card, but I don't. They're not getting into the top three. I How sweet would that be, though, if the Oilers finished first in the Western Conference and the Flames were the second wild card uh, seed, and they just stomped them again? Oh, I mean, that would be so fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I just expect big bounce backs from like a guy like Huberto and Markstrom, uh, two key key elements on their team. I expect big bounce backs from them. Mangiapane is gonna have a stronger year don't don't get me wrong i'm not a flames booster here at all but i just i just see a, a pretty good size balance did back they get I, I mean i know that they got rid of daryl sutter and that should just help them by subtraction but they also traded away tyler to foley um, for Saren Govich, i think his name is so they, yeah, they, Sharon they, Govich, yeah. yeah i mean so yeah. is it ryan is it fair to say the flames got worse in the offseason I think that is totally fair to say. Like, I think you're right. Addition by subtraction by getting rid of of Sutter. Ryan Huska, by all accounts, fantastic coach, player's coach, but he's going to be an NHL rookie himself. Um, the Flames, 93 points last year, and they would have barely snuck it. Like, they were the 16th overall team in the league, if I remember correctly. Florida was a point below them and went on to the cup finals. But... Uh, yeah. There's a seven point gap between them and the Kraken from last year. Yeah. It's like, I don't, 
think everything went right for Seattle too, though, right? I mean, are are they going to have that many guys that are all going to have career highs again? Exactly. You had you had Vince Dunn and Jared McCann doing things they had never done before. Can they keep that consistency? Plus, Strong's gone now, right? So they lost that twenty goal score on their third line. Their goaltending is subpar at best, probably. Yep. I mean, so I still think that Seattle could get into the playoffs in that fourth seed, but um, the Flames and Canucks probably have a chance to push them. I I mean, I still have Seattle getting in over them, but I'm just saying that it's not a lock that Seattle has that fourth spot down. I mean, they can contend, sure. I just think that there's a lot of, I don't know, JT Miller and the Canucks, I think there's some locker room issues in there. Like, I'm just yeah. not a fan of that that deal. I don't know why they prioritized signing him with a full <laughs> Horvat. I, I know. That was really stupid. Their um, captain, who is loyal to the organization for... That, that they drafted guy. and developed. Yeah. Right? I see a very strong five-team battle there. Kings, Flames, Knights, Kraken, Canucks. That's going to be a, a heated... Uh, rivalry all season long to, to get those playoff spots people forget about thatcher demko and i th- i made a yeah. prediction on michael's show there last year that he would win the vesta didn't know about his groin issues there and he shredded he was out for 32 games last year this year i i'm gonna sound like a broken record he's gonna win the vesna look out okay and i'll go for my uh pacific division predictions and i'll say the oilers in first with 112 points uh, Vegas with 107, the Kings at 101, Seattle at 93, the Canucks at 89, Flames 85, the Ducks 62, and the Sharks coming up the rear with 59. Uh, so yeah, there's there's going to be a, a a couple, you know, pretty weak teams. Like I said, near the bottom that the Oilers will beat up on, and uh, the teams in the middle. I think they. I mean, it's it's still rivalry games against Vancouver and Calgary, so those should be intense. But the Oilers really should get the better of both those teams. And they had a great record against the Pacific Division last season, so that trend should continue. Just before we move on, though, from the Pacific, I, I want to get a, an additional thought from you on why you think the Oilers will be able to finish ahead of the Golden Knights and Kings this year. Is it just this team continuing to take a step forward, or is it more so the other team's maybe coming down a little bit. Uh, we'll go back to uh, you, Bob, since you were first. Uh, what do you see for, for these teams? Uh, well, I do see the the Knights and the Kraken taking a step backwards, but I also see, uh, you know, the Flames stepping up and the Kings kind of holding what they're doing. I definitely think it's more about the evolving of the Edmonton Oilers. You're going to see them be better defensively. They're already trying different stuff defensively in the preseason, and they're gonna, they're, they'll be implementing. They'll, they should be better at locking down games in tight third periods so i think yeah i think it's more a focus of the oilers evolving taking that next step becoming a better all-round team more of a championship caliber team and not just relying on our on our number one offense and and the best power play in the history of the sport yeah and kirk for you uh, do you think that vegas and la have taken a step back at all or do you think that the Oilers will just overcome them and this is the year that they're finally going to win that first division title in more than three decades? Well, you, you look down the stretch there last year, like right before the end of the season, you know, Vegas and Empton were neck and neck. Right. And I, I think... If Vegas would have lost that last game of the regular season, Edmonton would have finished first. Yep. 
That's and how tight just, it was. <laughs> I, I I think the Vegas's goaltending. I know Aiden Hill was on a heater last year and propelled them to the Stanley Cup. You know he was brought in. Um, I, I I think the the main the main uh, the main theme here for all the teams. Well, I should say for all the teams, but you take a look at Vegas, you take a look at LA, you even take a look at Edmonton a little bit there too. There's not really a, a number one. You know, you, you do see Aiden Hill, of course. He's probably going to be the starter. But Logan uh, Logan Thompson there, like, he he can be, he can, you know, go on a heater there, too. It can go back and forth. With L.A., they they lost all their goaltending. You know, they traded away Jonathan Quick. He didn't come back. Uh, they signed Cam Talbot, an aging Cam Talbot. And they've got Phoenix Copley, who has been a, a career backup you know, you take a look at Calgary there with Markstrom. You take a look at Vancouver with Demko. It's gonna be it's gonna be tight again. I I, I think I know it. <laughs> kind of contradicting myself here, but it could be a coin flip and once again between Edmonton and Vegas, or it could be it could be Vancouver surprising a lot of people there too, and that's why I picked them fourth there in my rankings. Uh, and Ryan, taking a look at the top three teams in the Pacific. All three of these teams have been mentioned as potential Stanley Cup contenders. Obviously, Vegas is the defending champ, so they're almost automatically thrown into that. But when you look at these three teams and their offseason, uh, do you think each of these teams got better? Did some of them get worse? How how would you uh, look at these three uh, taking a, a step from last year into this season? I think Vegas is pretty close to the same group they were last year, so reasonable to expect similar results. The Kings, I feel like, got a little bit worse, but Agreed. they're still a dangerous team. Like, I'm not a fan of that Dubois deal long term, but in the short term, their top nine is still pretty loaded. Um, but the they Oilers, sent out more goals than they brought in, though. That's kind of the point that I was getting at. That you know, yes, yeah. every, everyone looks at that they got the best player in the trade, but one of the things that made the Kings so effective against the Oilers in the playoffs was that gritty, greasy third line of theirs that is basically all playing for the Winnipeg Jets now. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair, but like they, they can still put Philip Deneau on that third line. Yeah. And they had, I mean, I was watching the Kings and Coyotes from Australia in the preseason, and they were running Arvidsson and Deneau on the third line. <laughs> so like they, they can still boast a little bit of depth and come up with a very useful third line. But for me, the Oilers with Connor Brown, with Matthias Ekholm there for a full season with an expected rebound from Jack Campbell, expected internal improvement from guys like Dylan Holloway, Ryan McLeod, et cetera, et cetera. I think that we have a really good chance to win the division. Last I look back at November and December last year. How many games did we just give uh, uh, like we gave them away like darnell nurse giving the puck away in his own end with seconds losing overtime like how many games were like uh, jack campbell blew us that game because of his sloppy glove hand like (laughs) we only needed one of those to go our way for us to win the division last year now, I think uh, it's going to be a lot more stable with an, with Ekholm, with an improved Campbell, with the new defensive systems. So I, I don't think we have that crazy November-December lull this year. So I think we end up 
with a few more wins under our belt for the season total and run away with the division. True. And and I mean, the Oilers, like you said, did have a a really rough uh, December and first half of January. And they, although the Boston Bruins set the NHL record for the best regular season in league history last year, the Oilers were better than the Bruins in the second half of the season. They only had five regulation losses in their last 39 games. So that just shows you the level that they played at to overcome where they were at on January 1st to get to a point where they weren't even in a wild card spot uh, in early January and to finish two points out of first place in the Western Conference. So they were playing out of this world um, from January on. And uh, if they can play even remotely close to that for the full season, and they're going to be in the mix for uh, not only just a division title, but a conference title again. All right. Uh, sorry, did you want to say something? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to chime in. I know yeah. for for the Oilers last, last year, their, their first half of the season, they traveled a ton. They had tougher competition. Yeah. I, I'm just curious, like to everybody here in the chat um, on the podcast, I mean, have it, has anybody checked out the schedule and seen if it's similar to they, last year? They or? play eight of their first 12 games are against non-playoff teams. Okay. So that should help. And and you are right, Kirk. I do believe that um, I'm trying to remember who put it out. I, I wish I could credit the person, whether it was Jonathan Willis or Daniel Nugent Bowman from the athletic. I, I feel like it was one of them that said the Oilers had, the second toughest schedule in the league in the first half and the third easiest schedule in the league in the second half. So, right. I, I mean, it should balance out regardless either way. Right. Oh, oh for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm just hoping this year we, we have a little bit easier travel, you know, kind of more spread out. So you get a little they bit more. They do have road games. There, there are a lot of road games early, but like I said, when you're playing, um, I mean, just off the top of my head, their first four is back to back with Vancouver, Nashville, and Philadelphia. I mean, right. I don't think I don't think it's overconfident to say that the Oilers should start four and zero there, right? Yeah, no, it, it's all about having a good start, though, too, right? It kind of sets yeah. the tone for the entire year. So, exactly, and well, even road trips early on aren't necessarily that bad because uh, you do a lot of good team bonding on the road. I mean, you're, you mm-hmm. guys spend all that time together so but yeah especially when you're winning where on your yeah especially <laughs> when you're winning yeah <laughs> and knowing that leon dreisaitl is the mayor of nashville and that they're playing their third <laughs> game of the season there i mean that's that's a pretty good way to start off the build, season they should build a, st- a statue of him there outside the stadium <laughs> he had some ridiculous record where or not record but uh run where he had something like six straight multi-goal games against the Predators or I I have to go look it up but it's his numbers against that team are insane so I'm kind of glad that the Oilers are playing them early because that should get uh, Dreisaitl off to a hot start this season Uh, all right Uh, last season McDavid tied the NHL record for most individual awards in one season with four including the Art Ross Trophy as scoring champion the Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy as goal-scoring leader, the Hart Memorial Trophy as most valuable player, and the Ted Lindsay Award as most outstanding player is voted by the NHLPA. Stuart Skinner was also the runner-up for the Calder Memorial Trophy as Rookie of the Year, and Darnell Nurse was a finalist for the King Clancy Memorial Trophy as best leader and humanitarian in his community. Which Oilers players do you think will take home some hardware this season, Kirk? I, I think Dreisaitl is going to take home the Rocket. 
And I think McDavid is going to take home a Ted Lindsay. I mean, with 66 North- goals, that, that should secure it. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and I, I, one of my bold predictions, I, I, I wrote down here and I'm kind of, you know, after the, the point totals there, everybody was, was talking about, I, I don't mm. think it's going to be too far off, you know, with Carlson last year, you know, being offensive and whatnot, I wrote down Bouchard and it would be a, a Norris finalist, yeah. believe it or not. You know, he, he definitely could. Uh, I mean, if, if the, if he has an incredible point total year where he's, um, you know, let's say top three in the league. I, I wonder if they'll look at the full package because not that, not that Bouchard is poor defensively, but I, are they going to want to see a more full, well-rounded defenseman for, for that, uh, that trophy? Although it does they seem never like, do. <laughs> I was going to say it, in past years, you're right. It has been, it's the, they've almost treated the Norris in a sense like the Art Ross for defensemen, although right. back back in the 80s, uh, it wasn't that way because Paul Coffey should have had it every single year, and he's losing it to guys like Rob Langway and just, you know, going for the most, you know, defensive, complete player instead of the guy who's putting up 135 points as a blue liner. So, uh, yeah, is he going to score more than Kale McCarr to get into the mix? Like, the will Carlson be able to have close to a similar year playing with Crosby and Malkin to be determined. But I, I like that prediction that you're going with uh, that uh, Bouchard being in the mix for, um, for the Norris doesn't hurt being on the best power play in the world, you know, yeah. you know quarterbacking it. And I, I think like, like, like I said, once again, call me crazy, but I think he'll actually, if he plays with Darnell nurse, Mm-hmm. I think he'll be that calming effect for Darnell Nurse, where he tends to do everything. I think, I think he'll be he'll have that calming effect there with Darnell, and I think they'll be a great pairing. Personally. Well, if he's if he's playing with Darnell Nurse, who else do you think he's playing with? Connor and Leon. Yeah, <laughs> who's yeah. the best puck mover on the team? It's Evan Bouchard. Who do you want him on the ice with? Your superstars. Right, that and you got Darnell the Nurse, the best year. the best skating defenseman on the team too. So they might actually yep. blend well together because each other's strengths aren't, you know, they would just kind of fit each other's weaknesses and cover for each other in that sense, I guess. They right. do, but like Cody Cece had more time with Connor and Leon than Bouchard did last year. Yeah, and Bouchard still got what forty three points. <laughs> yeah, and I mean he had a really slow start, but then he finished the season on an incredible run with. Uh, 19 points in his last 19 games. And then he was even above a point per game in the playoffs when the Oilers power play was uh, clicking at an even better rate than it was during the regular season. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's, I mean, I have Bouchard at 72 points and <laughs> it could even be low. And, and Ryan, we'll go, we'll go to you next. Uh, can they just start engraving McDavid's name on all the same <laughs> awards this year? Or uh, do you see uh, anyone else on the Oilers adding uh, to their trophy case? I mean, McDavid's certainly going to be in the mix, if not winning a few of those at the very least. I just said Leon's going to get 66 goals, so I think that wins the rocket for him. Yeah. Um, I I have a hard time saying anybody other than McDavid's going to win the heart or the art or the the Ted Lindsay. Like he is the best player in the world, period. And there's, I mean, I love Leon, but there's nobody even close to Connor. So those ones for sure. But I think Jay Woodcroft could win Coach of the Year. 
Nice. I was hoping that someone would toss that in there as a as a potential um, award for for the Oilers staff. Um, and uh, Bob, uh, who do you think will be hearing their name called at the NHL Awards next June? Oh my goodness. Well, um, obviously it's just going to be the the Connor McDavid Knight. Uh, they might as well just call it that instead of the, the NHL Awards. And uh, so he'll clean up. He, he could win any award he chooses uh, besides the Vesna and the Norris. So if he puts his mind to it. Uh, that could happen. I, ha- I had Michael on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and he suggested that someone should tell Connor that no one's ever won the Selkie and the Art Ross in the same year as a motivating factor for him to try and win for best defensive forward in the league. Well, the closest ever was 1994, Sergey Fedorov, and her second yeah. point and won the Selkie. So only three guys ever have ever won uh, the Selkie and scored over 100 points. So I wouldn't put it past McDavid to even. Uh, try and tackle that one, especially since I already uh, mentioned the fact that that all the guys are going to be focusing a lot on their defensive game as well. Yeah, and uh, and Woodcroft repeatedly always mentions how McDavid might even be their best defensive forward overall. So he I has mean the ability the ability to backtrack and and steal pucks like that. I mean that's a defensive skill in its own. Uh, I think some people look at the more traditional. Uh, how does he set up in the in his own end and, and where is his placement and taking pucks away in that respect. But uh, like I said, just because of his incredible speed, he's not only able to, you know, create off the rush, but he can get back. And w- there's been times where it looks like a player might have a, a breakaway and he just basically comes out of nowhere, catches the guy and strips him from the puck. So uh, definitely want to see more of that coming this year. And I guess the other thing that Michael and I talked about a couple episodes ago was that uh McDavid has won the last three Art Ross trophies. Would it surprise any of you guys if he wins the next three as well? No. Wouldn't nope. surprise me at all. He's still yeah. in his prime window. He could win the next five. Because the thing is, if he gets two more, that puts him at seven. And at that point, he, he would pass Gordy Howe and uh, Mario Lemieux, who each have six. And the only player standing in front of him is Wayne Gretzky with ten. So you look at him right now, he's 26 years old. He has five Art Ross trophies. Could he lead the league in scoring five more times to tie Gretzky? 100%. Yeah, absolutely, he could. Because you have to, uh, I'm trying to think about the contenders, right? I don't know if there's a player right now in the next, like, at least three years who could come close. You, You see some guys on the rise, like Jack Hughes is coming up the ranks. Uh, I mean, where is Bedard going to be three to five years from now? But I still believe that as long until McDavid is at least in his 30s, that he should basically own that trophy every year that he's healthy. Yeah, those other guys you're talking about are cute, but they're not Connor. (laughs) Oh, of course not. I'm just because they're younger. Eventually, like basically, how long can he stay at at the top? Because right now, if he's at 150 points. Let's say five years from now, he's a 120-point player. Will if someone came and passed him by then? But by that time, maybe he already has either come close or equaled Gretzky's mark for most uh, Art Ross trophies. I mean, we look at it this year. Like, was there? There wasn't anybody within 25 points of Connor. Right? No, like, I mean Drysital. Drysital was uh, finished second, and he was 27 points behind him. And then who is the next guy behind Leon? 
that would have been Kucherov and okay, so Connor had 153, and Leon had 128, and then the next guy, I, I think they were tied. It was Kucherov and Pasternak each had 113. So Leon okay, was even so 50 40 points. points. Yeah. <laughs> 40 yeah. So points Connor's 40 points clear of anyone who doesn't play on the same team as him. Yeah, exactly. It's his to lose for the foreseeable future. And the, <laughs> the, the gap between first and second this year was the biggest in the scoring race since Wayne Gretzky in 1991. So we're talking about the, we're talking about the most dominant uh, season like he lapped the field unlike any player in the past 32 years you know even Mario Lemieux who was putting up even greater numbers than McDavid was in the mid 90s still wasn't that far ahead he had guys like Yager who were only like 10 points behind him the the rate of where McDavid is beyond every other superstar in the league right now it's just like he's in another stratosphere well, I attempted to capture that in an article I wrote there for Heavy Hockey Network to, to establish I, exactly how dominant he might be. And, uh, and you, yeah, like you're mentioning him in the names like Gretzky and Lemieux and, you know, Gordie Howe and these guys. You're already mentioning them. I think those. Connor's the third best forward ever after those. I already think eight years into his career, I, I can, I'll say it. I think he's the third best forward to ever play the game behind 99 and 66. You can make an argument that he's, uh, if he's not already one of the one of the greatest, well, he is one of the greatest, but you, I would say that he is the most skilled player that it's ever been in the NHL. Nobody's had these tools, this complete package, as Connor McDavid has. Yeah, most um, advanced, most evolved, whatever you want to say. He's, I mean, to have the vi- the combination of vision, puck skills, passing, shooting, speed, yeah, it's it's on another level. Every skill he has is at an elite level. Yeah, elite's yeah, an oh. understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I've got McDavid obviously winning the same four awards that he had last year, but I'm also going to add one in. Uh, he will be the first player to ever win five awards in one season, and that fifth award that he'll be adding this season is the Conn Smythe Trophy. Woo-hoo-hoo. Nice. <laughs> as play as playoff MVP, that will be the that will be the, and then he'll have a record that even Gretzky. Uh, never accomplished so uh, that's kind of a, a little bit of a preview for one of my takes later on in the show here so uh, we're going to go into our uh, three our bold prediction segment now and I've asked you guys to each prepare three predictions for the Oilers this season it can be a prediction for the team an individual player multiple players or even coaching and management so I want to go around the table one at a time Ryan what is your first bold prediction for the Oilers this season which one do I want to give you guys first? Are you going to save your best one for last? <laughs> or are you just going to give it to us right off the, the start? I got to keep you guys in suspense here. I'll, get, I'll oh. save the best one for last here. Because I think Bob uh, Bob likes his uh, dessert before his veggies. So he wants that He wants that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob's going to have to wait. <laughs> um, I'm going to say... I mean, I'll start off by saying that we kind of got one out of the bag earlier. I was going to say Leon set the salary cap era for single season goals with 66. But instead, I'm going to start off with Jack Campbell finishes above a 920 save percentage, which puts him top. Above 920. That's a spicy one. 
Elite goaltending from Jack Campbell. I mean, sign me up. I I think we would all accept above league average goaltending from Jack Campbell. So, and, and I do think he will rebound. But if he comes in with nine twenty, uh, then I'm pretty confident that the Oilers are going to go as far as I'll, I'll tell you guys in a little bit. <laughs> and uh, uh, Bob, over to you. Well, am I am I the one who's going to do the elephant in the room? I don't know if it's bold, but Oilers win the cup this year. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit more about that later, but we'll. I think we're all basically thinking the same thing, so that's a good one to start with. Somebody's got to say it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kirk, uh, what do you have for us? Uh, I, I'm going off the board here. I'm going to say uh, three, uh, three. Um, Condors are going to make their NHL debut this year. Oliver Rodrigue. Their NHL uh, debut? NHL debut. Okay. They'll, uh, Olivier Rodrigue. Um, uh, well, Raphael Lavoie is a shoe-in, I think, at some point, if he doesn't get traded. Um, and uh, Xavier Borgo gets a call up. I like that prediction. That's a creative one, especially throwing in uh, Rodrigue into the mix there. I love it. I, I I just have that gut feeling, you know, he's going to get that one AHL game like Skinner did there uh, when he first started. And I, I think he'll, he'll get his homework, whether it'll be in November or whether it'll be in January. I, I, I just have that gut feeling that he's going to get a call up and he's going to get a start. Okay. And Ryan, back to you. Okay. My second one here. I'm going to say that Evan Bouchard will lead the def- all NHL defensemen in power play points. Maybe not super spicy. Nice. Maybe not reaching too far for that one, but there it is. I think that there's a good chance that he'll achieve that one. So that's a solid prediction there, especially like you said. I mean, he has the opportunity that no other defenseman in the NHL does, and that's to play on the power play with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And Tyson Berry did that last year, and he was not leading the league in right. power play points by defenseman. Nor, I mean, he got three more in Nashville, and that put him at 31, which is, I believe, fourth. What I got the list here. Tyson Berry did lead the the league in points by defenseman three years ago, though. Right, and yep. and became the first defenseman in NHL history to lead the league in, in points by defenseman and not receive one vote for the Norris. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully if, if he does uh, finish where you think he will, that that would uh, include a, a few Norris votes for him there. Yep, hopefully. And uh, Bob, what's your second one? Well, see, you guys are giving it all away, and I'll, I'm gonna and I'm gonna stay on the Bouchard train here. I uh, I do think that Evan Bouchard is gonna make a case for him to be considered one of the top ten D men in the whole league, and he will definitely be getting uh, Norris consideration. I'm not saying he's gonna be a finalist, but he will definitely be get, getting Norris votes this year. Okay, I like that. So there's basically like a contingent here of of people who are, are thinking that uh, Bouchard's gonna be moving up into the elite class of defensemen around the league. And if that does happen, that $3.9 million cap, it's going to look really good. But uh, there's a, there's going to be a very big payday coming in the summer of 2025, if that's the case. Uh, And Kirk, back to you. 
Another off-the-board prediction here. I'm going with uh, Ben Gleason will be a full-time NHL D-man by January. Nice. I mean, he has been one of the standout performers of the preseason so far. So, um, yeah, hopefully if the Oilers do uh, send him down to Bakersfield, which I think will obviously be coming that – he won't get picked up on waivers and that they'll have the at least option to bring him back if there's an injury. Yeah, I think there's going to be a trade to make that happen if that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Don't rule that out either, though. And uh, Ryan. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to chime in there. I think he'll, he'll be, if he gets demoted to Bakersfield, I don't know. Like he'll, uh, and if he does pass through waiver, I don't know. I don't know if he's waiver exempt. I, I'm pretty sure he's not. Um, but uh, I uh, was going to say, if he does shake the foundations there on the farm, don't be surprised if Brett Kulak, you know, kind of gets. Uh, I, that that's just my take on it. It seems like Brett Kulak seems to be like the third left shot D man on the team here right now. I don't know. I, I just have that gut feeling. It's either up to 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 Brett Kulak or even Philip Broberg. Just I don't know. It just I don't know. I just have that gut feeling again. Okay, and Ryan, you've been building up to this, so I'm hoping it's a really good one here. Uh, what is hungry, your final? Ryan. I'm hungry, <laughs> what's your, Ryan. What's your, <laughs> <laughs> what's your final prediction for the Oilers this season? All right, let's get Bob his dessert here. Yeah. <laughs> right. The Edmonton Oilers. Yes, the Edmonton Oilers, you all know and love, will be a top five defensive team in the oh. entire league. Wow. And I'm saying okay. that because uh, partly because of Jack Campbell's resurgence and partly because of the new systems that Jay Woodcroft has implemented. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Uh, I wanted to quickly pull up here who the top five defensive teams in the league were last season, just so that we can take a look. Oh, do you have it? Yeah. The number one was Boston. Now, do you want this presented as goals against or goals against per game? (laughs) I mean, because all teams have played 82 games, it's even us. So we'll just go, yeah, goals against. Goals against. Boston was the class of the league at 174 goals against. Like, they were just ridiculous. Yeah, Carolina in second with 210. Dallas in third with 215. The Rangers in fourth with 216. And the Islanders, there's something going on in the water in New York, but uh, 217 goals against. And for now, reference, the Oilers. <laughs> Is that where you're going, Eric? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you look at those five teams in. One thing that is common with a lot of them is they have an elite NHL goalie. So uh, that is obviously a big uh, feather in their cap and and makes a a major difference. So if Jack Campbell gets to that 920 level that you're you're thinking that he might, then they would have a shot at it. But you said they were all under 220, right? Yeah, they're all under 220. So doing some quick math here, 220 divided by 82... So that's like two six eight if it was if they allowed two hundred and twenty goals. So if the Oilers are allowing two point six eight goals per game, they are going to win a lot of hockey games this year. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. This is a team that 
averages over four goals a game. So if that's the case, then we're talking about pushing 60 wins as, as crazy as that sounds. So uh, I hope that your prediction does come true because for that type of stingy defense added to the best offensive team in the league, uh, then yeah, Bob's prediction of a of a cup win uh, seems like it has even a little more credence than we thought. Absolutely, and for last just for the record, last year the Oilers are were at 256 goals against, for, good for 17th in the league. So they're shaving 40 goals off. It's half a goal a game. Yeah, it's doable. Well, I believe I believe out of all the uh, Western teams that made the playoffs, they allowed the most goals against. Is that not correct? Uh, that's going to involve more work than I can do on a spot, but probably I wouldn't be surprised. The Kings yeah, are acting Vegas, Winnipeg, Colorado, Minnesota, Dallas. There's not, who else is below them here? Yep. That's accurate. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Bob, your last one. Well, I, I love that one because I actually kind of figured, uh, this wasn't one of my uh, topics though, but I kind of figured the Oilers would crack the top 10 and and, and to be the best defensive team. So top five is, is bold and I, and I strongly encourage it. And I already have them pushing 60 wins. I got them at 57 wins for my predictions for this coming season. So that should get, the, that should get us to 60. Then my last one is kind of a fun one. Okay. I do think that uh, number three. I hope, I, think, I hope all of yours are fun ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I think Leon Drysdale this year is going to get his first NHL fight. Hmm. Oh, that is a okay. good prediction. You know, that's one that I wouldn't have even thought of. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a he's a fiery guy out there, and uh, it makes you think that one of these times someone's just going to piss him off a little too much, and he'll drop the gloves. Now, think, who, who does he fight, though? Is it Alex Petrangelo? Is it mm. Mikey Anderson? Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the willing combatants are out there, but he has that edge to him, and he does cross the line sometimes with some of his hacks in the back of the leg and stuff like that. And I think somebody's yeah. going to end up jumping him, and he'll have to defend himself somehow, and the gloves are going to drop, and we'll see I what do like, I do like Ryan's idea of him getting a few shots in on Petrangelo. That sounds nice. <laughs> so I'm gonna... <laughs> I don't care who does it, as long as someone did, someone does it. <laughs> yeah. If it does, I'm going to have to get Michael to, to clip that and uh, and post that 30-second uh, <laughs> clip on Twitter, because uh, you, you'll definitely deserve to get uh, credit for that one. Uh, and, uh, and Kirk, what's your final prediction for the Oilers this season? Another crazy prediction here, even with the farm team once again. I think the Condors and the Edmonton Oilers are in their respective leaves, or leagues are going to hit are going to make it to the final, not going to win, but both club, the Condors and the Oilers are going to make it to their respective league finals. Okay. That's, that's another creative one. So I like that you were able to integrate a few Condors predictions in with this too. Yeah. I, I, I follow like, uh, like, um, Ryan Holt, I think, is the play-by-play, like the the social media guy. He's all wrapped yep. in one there for the Condors. I follow him online. I follow Bruce Kerlock, um and a few others from the Bakersfield area that talk a lot about the prospects there. So I'm going to keep a, a very close eye. And hopefully, you know, 
even if one, like even my first one comes true, I'll, I'll be super stoked. No, no, uh, and... no, no Fort Wayne comments, uh, predictions there. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't got that far down the ladder yet there, Bob, but I'll, I'm working on it. Okay. Who, who do you see, f- f- uh, landing on their fourth line? uh landing on their fourth line <laughs> yeah like let's, let, fourth line? <laughs> yeah let's 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 break down the echl fourth line and, and you know who could really yeah. add some grit <laughs> i was gonna say i'll break down the goaltending there you know they've got uh a former london knight there uh brett boshu i think he's playing for him there you got an echl oh, yeah. contract so okay good on the kid but i mean you, you, know. you know one name on the comments so we'll give you credit <laughs> right there ryan fancy automatically our expert yeah Ryan Fanti got a goal, uh, goalie goal. Yeah, he did, and he and he had a fight. Yes, sir. <laughs> there you go. All right, so that covers our ECHL segment of the Oilers season preview. <laughs> and uh, so anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I'm a big stats guy, and especially a McDavid stats guy. So all of my predictions are McDavid related. I have him finishing with two points per game this season, 164 points in 82 games which would make him only the third player in NHL history to average two points over a full season. The other, of course, are Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. I also have McDavid registering 100 assists this season. It's only ever been done by three players. Gretzky did it 11 times, and Bobby Orr and Mario Lemieux each did it once. So Connor would be joining a very exclusive club there of uh, players who have had a hundred apples in one season. And this is my biggest one. I believe that McDavid en route to winning that Conn Smythe trophy that I mentioned earlier, will put up 50 points in the playoffs this year, which would, which would break Wayne Gretzky's record for most points in a single playoff year of 47. And I mean, if you think about it, Gretzky would have had a lot more than 47 points if the 85 Oilers weren't so dominant. Yeah. If if there was a few more series that had gone six or seven games, then he probably would have got close to 60. But because I don't think this year's Edmonton Oilers will roll over their opponents as quickly as the, the Oilers did back in their heyday in the mid 80s, let's just say that each series goes six games on average. And he's he's maintaining that point per game average that he's had the past couple of years of you know just under 1.9 points per game if it's 1.89 times uh 24 games in the playoffs you know he should be at minimum in that 45 46 range but i think that he'll even elevate as the playoffs go on and uh get over the 50 point plateau so that's my big one to keep an eye on once we get into the playoffs next spring. Love it. I like it. I'm on board. That's ballsy. <laughs> I like it. Yes, sir. All right. And uh, I mean, we kind of already touched on this, but we'll just go over it one last time. So, uh, cause I don't know if everyone gave all their, their predictions for this, but how many wins and points do you think the Oilers will finish with? Uh, Bob, you said, I'm trying to remember. Wins, 57, 57 wins. wins yeah. 118 points. 118 points. And Kirk, you're next. Uh, 53 wins, uh, 111 points for the Oilers. And based on, uh, the type of defense that Ryan's thinking that this team will have, I'm guessing yours might even be higher. So, uh, how many wins and points are you projecting this season? Oh, what do I want to 
say here, I'll go 56 wins, 115 points. Okay. Not many overtime games. <laughs> yeah, I, I have them winning 55 games and two overtime losses because I just think that they're going to be such a hard time to beat or a team to beat in three on three overtime. So uh, 55 wins, two overtime losses comes out to 112 points, which should be enough to finish first in the Pacific Division and also hopefully the Western Conference. All right. And my final question for you guys tonight, and some people have already kind of given away their answer here, but we'll still go over it. Uh, which, or sorry, how far do you think the Oilers will go in the 2024 playoffs? Which team will they play in their last series and how many games will it go? Bob, make the call. Edmonton Oilers, we're going to win the Stanley Cup this year, uh, put it on the board, and uh, I should be I should be placing bets on this. Um, <laughs> I do think our Eastern Conference team uh, finalist is going to surprise some people who I feel, but I do think uh, with a little less pressure on them as there was last year, I think Boston might actually uh, make it that far, and we'll have wow. a repeat of the, of the '88 series, even and the '90 series, and the '90 series. That's correct. Yeah, despite losing Bergeron and Krejci too, so that's. Uh, I don't know how many people have the Bruins going to the final this year. I think there would have been a lot of uh, hockey observers and experts who would have had. Uh, them reaching that point last season before they were ultimately knocked out in a shocking upset to the Florida Panthers. So, you and you said Bergeron's presence there, he set the tone for that for that dressing room. So there's no way he, that his presence still isn't felt there. Yeah. Uh, Marshawn going to take the reins there. He was on. He's basically Bergeron's best friend. You see DeBrus taking a step forward. You see Charlie McAvoy taking a step forward. They have the best goaltending tandem in the league. Olmark's not going to be as dominant as he was last year, but. Swayman could be a number one on so many other teams as well. And they're going to have less pressure on them because less is expected of them without the Bergeron and Krejci there. So I see them as sneaking in there. And how many games did you say it'll take the Oilers to knock off the Bruins? I didn't say. But uh, (laughs) uh, let's go with, you know what? Let's make it a seven-game series. Why not? Okay. And Ryan, how far do you see the Oilers going? Who will they play in the end and how many games? I also have the Oilers in the Stanley Cup final. However, I love my team. That's why I can't pick them to win. Mm. You don't want to jinx them. Is that what you're saying? I don't want to jinx them. I can't do it. (laughs) So you think you're actually increasing their odds by picking against them? I don't want it to be my fault. (laughs) (laughs) We'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. No, I, I'm going to say you, you make you, you produce a ton of content for the site. So you're <laughs> you're forgiven. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Ryan. Sorry. How much power and influence do you think you have that you're in control of the Stanley Cup final? Oh, every move matters. <laughs> every yeah. move matters, Bob. He's got to walk to work the same way every day on game days. He eats the same thing. <laughs> Always wear my blue and orange on game day. Yeah. You can't break this. I mean, hockey's a very superstitious sport. So, okay, so who are they playing in the final and how many games will it go? I've got them playing uh, somewhat of a surprise team in the East, but a team that's done a little bit to load up here that's got very strong defense, especially on the right side. So a lot of speed, and they've added some goal scoring in the summer. The New Jersey Devils. Hmm. 
<laughs> and I think they'll beat us in six games. Interesting. And, you know, I was just listening to Greg Wyshynski, a.k.a. Puck Daddy, on uh, Dustin Nielsen's show yesterday. And, I mean, he's a huge New Jersey Devils fan and noted Oilers hater. And yep. he he has the Oilers winning the cup this year. He picked them last year and he's picking them again this year over his own Devils. So um, that also not that I read too much into everything Wyshynski said, because he also said at one point last year that David Pasternak was the best player in the NHL. But the, the fact that he's picking the Oilers over his own Devils, uh, maybe he's trying to do the exact same thing you are is like jinx the opposition or something. But I like to see that, that there's multiple experts in the industry coming out we've seen uh guys like elliot friedman suggest that this is going to be the year frank saravelli like there's there's enough high uh there's enough notable media people outside of edmonton who are making this prediction that it's not just a a local prognication that the oilers are going to be the ones to lift the cup it's it seems to be that they are universally considered uh stanley cup contenders that's what scares me that there's too many people picking them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the consensus favorite rarely wins it all. Yeah. But don't you also think that that first time that the that McDavid and Dreisaitl get into the final, that they're not going to let it slip away? <laughs> My heart wants to say yes. My brain <laughs> wants to say yes. <laughs> I just can't do it. I just feel like you you put McDavid in that situation, playing for the Stanley Cup, something he's been dreaming of his whole life, a, a player that's that driven. I, I just can't see him losing the first time he finally gets there. They would be the favorite in any Stanley Cup final. But like I say, <laughs> I just yeah. can't do it. <laughs> and I mean, the Athletic put out their predictions earlier today. They had... Carolina winning the President's Trophy, I believe, with 109 points, and they had the Oilers finishing second with 107, and they also had that as their Stanley Cup final. So, um, I mean, love to see that. And uh, Bob, last word goes to you. Uh, how far are the Oilers going? I, I guess you've already said it, but <laughs> who are they playing and how many games? No, I already did it. It's Kurt's turn there. I, I started it off. Oh, sorry, sorry, Kurt. Yes, last word goes <laughs> well, to you. My, apo- my apologies. It's all good, man. It's all good. I, I'm once again, I'm going way off the board. I'm call me crazy, whatever. It probably won't happen because Gary, I think Gary Bettman would go full scanners. His head would explode on live TV, but uh, I'm going to go with an Edmonton Toronto final with Edmonton winning. Uh, I'm going to go seven games. I, I just, I, I want an all Canadian final. It'll I probably never happen. Be, that's the one Canadian final that I think would be great for the NHL. Because the Leafs are such a big draw across Canada, as much as we might dislike them. And the Oilers have Connor McDavid. I think that, that there would still be enough appeal south of the border. But the numbers, I mean, Sportsnet, yeah. Sportsnet would be, you know, doing jumping jacks and, and <laughs> high-fiving in the, you know, behind the scenes if, if that ever happened. Because, I mean, they would be making money hand over fist. I can only imagine how much they'd be charging for commercials during the Stanley Cup final if, if it was the Oilers and Leafs. Like I said, it, I'd call me crazy, have the tinfoil hat conspiracy going, yeah. but I don't think Bettman would, would be too happy and I would just be I, I would be I would be doing cartwheels if it was an all yeah. Canadian final. And you had the Oilers over them, right? Yeah. Seven games. And seven games. I, get, I guarantee you that 
when or if the Toronto Leafs ever win another Stanley Cup, automatically most of the media is going to already declare them one of the greatest teams <laughs> of all time. Especially the Austin Matthews, you know, being yeah. being on there. I mean, in their 106-year history, they have won 13 Stanley Cups, but all of those Stanley Cups were only two rounds in the original six era. So they've never won three rounds in any playoff series. The Florida Panthers have won three playoff rounds twice in their history, and the Toronto Maple Leafs haven't. Just to put into perspective like how you know, putrid the Leafs have been over the past uh, quarter or half century. You could have used that as one of your hot takes there, uh, Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> just uh it just it, you know just one of those out in left fields you know just predictions i guess there you go i just and got a second helping of dessert i guess <laughs> <laughs> there you go yeah bob's got the sweet tooth uh so uh, my and my stanley well i have edmonton obviously winning the stanley cup as well i think they're going to play the carolina hurricanes rematch of the 2006 final that broke oil country's heart and unlike that series in 06 this time it'll end with a happy ending uh the the right team lifting that that cup something that was denied to this team uh 17 years ago and you know it still hurts so it would take away some of the pain of not getting to see Ryan Smith and that group that, you know, scratch and clawed their way into the playoffs and went on that Cinderella run just coming up short to see Connor McDavid and uh, the current edition of the Oilers finally win it, bring the, the cup back to Canada for the first time in 30 years, the cup back to Edmonton for the first time in 34 years. It would just be a beautiful thing. And I'm predicting that they'll beat the Hurricanes in six games. So it'll be and it'll be on home ice, too. I'll be a very broke man if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Would you get tickets to the Stanley Cup final to see a, a home game at Rogers Place? <laughs> oh, I would be very tempted, but I have a feeling that uh, that it wouldn't be feasible. <laughs> I, I'll de- I'm definitely planning to go to more playoff games this spring, but probably in the first round or two to, to think about what a ticket might cost for Edmonton, the Stanley Cup final. I mean, I'll definitely look on Ticketmaster just out of curiosity. Oh, but, of course. Uh, <laughs> I'd definitely be in the moss pit, though. That'd be nuts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even even to go to a first round game, the tickets were, or my ticket was, you know, more than double of what I normally play uh, pay. So for my, my usual area that I sit in, so to think that uh, what it could be like um, for. Uh, for a Stanley Cup final, I'm thinking upper deck would be 700, maybe 800 bucks. Just, just as a, a throwing a, you know, a dart there. But I have no idea. It, it would, it would I'd definitely say, cost a lot. Yeah, I'd say higher. <laughs> you think? I, oh I'd, yeah. I'd say higher. Even for for upper deck, hey. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was fortunate enough. I got to go to Game Three in '06 for the yeah. final, and at the old Rexall place. Right. But I tell you what, that's an atmosphere that you never come down from. No. And I mean, they, they came back and won that game, too. So I'm glad yeah. you went to one of the finals games that they were victorious. So, yeah, let's let's hope that we get there and that, uh, you know, gives us another nine months to save up a little money to <laughs> maybe go <laughs> to those games. Get Michael to put it on the, the company credit card and take all the heavy hockey guys. 
you know how many articles I'm going to have to write? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but knowing you, I think that you would uh, promise to write an article every day for the whole summer if, if he got you a ticket to the final. <laughs> I mean, there's been the, I could probably think of a lot worse things that I would do, too. <laughs> <laughs> well... We'll, we'll save that for another episode, maybe. <laughs> but guys, obviously, uh, you know, it's it's really exciting that the season is just around the corner here. I mean, we obviously have huge expectations for the team, and I know that internally they have even bigger expectations for themselves. So I'm sure we all just can't wait to get it going for real on Wednesday night. And I want to thank you guys again for being on the show. So before we call it a night, everyone could just tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter, where they can follow you. Yeah. Uh, cam rates one, uh, at cam rates one on Twitter for me. And, uh, just check out heavyhockey.com. I am working on some articles. I'm doing a, I, I guess it's like a power, power ranking slash, uh, organizational rankings here. Hopefully we'll be, out before the season starts next week. Okay. And Ryan, where can they find you? Yeah. So the, the handle on Twitter is at lots, Ryan, uh, my, my username on there is Lotsy. Um, yeah. And you know, you guys know I pump out the content and that's, I mean, I'll, this frequency will probably slow down a little bit once the regular season starts, but you know, I'm still good for lots of written content on heavyhockey.com. Oh, absolutely. No one writes more articles for the site than you. And uh, Bob, where can they find you? Uh, GoalieBob1 on uh, on Twitter and obviously on the 97 Octane uh, Hockey podcast. Uh, we've had all three of you gents on as guests before. And I always, always enjoy talking hockey with uh, with the likes of you guys. So thanks a lot for having me on here, Eric. Definitely. And I'm sure I'll have each of you on at some point again this season, possibly even multiple times. Uh, once again, thanks again, guys. And uh, let's get it started. We're almost time for hockey season. Let's go. Hey, La yes, sir. <laughs> thanks again, Eric. Appreciate it, man, as always. Yeah, thanks, Eric. For sure. All right. So for Ryan Lotzberg, Bob Schmidt, and Kirk Morris, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.